0: Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered and here's how we do that. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that is it. No fluff, hopefully lots of helpful, actionable tips that help both my guest and you as the listener or viewer. Today, my guest is Dennis Geelan. Dennis is an accidental solopreneur. He's literally written the book on that. After more than 20 years in the corporate world, Dennis accidentally fell into being a solopreneur when he found himself laid off for the first time at the age of 43. He decided to bet on himself and is now at the age of 48. Five years into his solopreneur journey, he's written four books, created three online courses, and consulted for dozens of companies, spoken at numerous events, launched a newsletter, and is having a lot of fun helping others do the same. Dennis is also active on Twitter, and I think that's where I first came across him, maybe LinkedIn as well. We had some exchange. He sent me a copy of his book, which I read and thought was great and can certainly relate to, as I'm sure many of my listeners can. So I recommend you check that out. And with all of that said, hey, Dennis, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Josh. So great to be here.
0: I know. It's nice to meet you. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today because I know it's funny for every creator or solopreneur, whatever anyone wants to call themselves these days, there's this ongoing journey, right? And people are at different stages. And I think a lot of times people will look at even just like you yourself, right? You're like, well, okay, five years ago, I was laid off and I had to figure this out. And they might look at you and go, oh, he's got courses and he's got books and he's done this and that. But You, just like me and everyone else, is also at a point where it's like, okay, but I'm still trying to figure out what the next thing is and where do I go from here, right? That's what we're going to talk about today and in a variety of ways in terms of your newsletter, your brand, your book, your courses, your sort of all of that. And so I'm looking forward to it and think it's going to be relevant to a lot of people. With that said, let's jump into it. What is the first thing you want to know? All
1: right. So like you said, I've created a lot of different assets, but the biggest or the newest thing for me is a newsletter. So I just launched that earlier this year. I want to try and have more control over access to my audience, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking for different strategies on how do I grow a newsletter? I don't want to do it in a salesy way. I want good organic growth from people who want to read the newsletter. So that's my first question. What are some good strategies to do that?
0: Great. So first of all, congratulations on launching the newsletter. So that's the first step that a lot of people don't take, which is a huge mistake. Because as anyone who follows any of my stuff knows, I'm a big believer in newsletters and it's the strongest connection that you can have to an audience. To start, tell me a bit about what the newsletter is and who it's for. Sure. So it's called Happy Accidents, and it's
1: a weekly newsletter. So once every Tuesday, I send out a different story about a company or a product or a person that accidentally invented the product or accidentally fell into what they're doing and ended up becoming a huge success. Tons of stories out there I try and keep them short and compelling with some takeaway lessons. That's it in a nutshell.
0: And so I think what's really important, and I'm going to get to the nuts and bolts newsletter growth tips sort of secondary, because I think it's important. I get asked all the time, how do I grow my newsletter? How do I grow my newsletter? But if sometimes the foundational elements aren't quite right, either that growth becomes harder or almost worse, they're able to grow, but it doesn't lead to what they ultimately want to happen anyway. And it becomes sort of a fool's gold situation. So, talk to me a little bit about separate from your newsletter, who you're trying to attract, who you're trying to work with. What is the goal? Like, why do you want the newsletter to grow other than it's a fun project? And obviously, people like that, people read it, but I yeah. assume it's a little more synced up to what yeah. you want to happen business wise. It is a fun project.
1: But yeah, to your point, going back to how you introduced me in the intro, I, fell into solopreneurship. I did not think I had a entrepreneurial bone in my body. It wasn't until in my forties that I even took this route. So it's people like that who are my ideal audience. Those are the people that typically reach out, read my book, take my courses, do coaching calls with me. They find themselves around that age. They're leaving the corporate world for whatever reason, they're burnt out or they're laid off like I was, and they want to bet on themselves. So that brand of accidental solopreneur, the newsletter is a bit of a spinoff on that. So it's happy accidents. It's not necessarily just solopreneurs, but it's people Mm -hmm. who accidentally fell into success or entrepreneurship or created a a product that they never intended to. So it's for those people and it's do it in a story format so that it's engaging and draws Mm -hmm. them in. That's the idea behind
0: it. A couple things that I would tell you or suggest you consider. I do think it's a good newsletter and I think it's a good concept. So I'm not suggesting you change it, but I'm going to give you some things to think about and maybe you may want to tweak your approach or not, but just think about how it fits into the overall scheme of things, right? So the question that I always ask myself with a newsletter, is this attracting the people I want to reach or need to reach to do the other things that I want to do. So your newsletter at this point is mostly telling stories about other sort of happy accident success stories, which is fine. And is it, and is interesting, but is it as connected as it could be to what you then ultimately want to sell people or whatever else it is, the rest of your world. When I look at it just at a glance, it feels a little bit like it's a separate project over here and it's cool and it's great on its own, but I don't know that there's the connective yeah. tissue there. And yeah. I say this not to say that you need to have a different newsletter topic or format. That's not my point. But I, my point is, if you're going to do this newsletter format, how do you connect? How do you come up? And I'm going to talk some more about this in the answers to some of your other questions in a second. We're going to get into the brand as a whole, right? But how do you connect it so it feels aligned with those other things? And it's attracting the people that are then going to make that jump as, because what you don't want is you don't want people that are just like, oh, I like this newsletter. It shares interesting stories about these businesses. And that was great. But it has no, you don't, you want everything to feel as aligned as possible. So that's something to think about. And I'll give you actually a quick example of one of the ways in which my newsletter has evolved. So there was a time in my newsletter where I sort of defined my audience as creators. That was good. I work with creators. I help them like, okay, it seems aligned. Advice for creators, perfect. But what I realized over time, and especially the term creator became used more and suddenly started to mean everything, was that different people had very different ideas in their own mind of what a creator is. So the people that I really wanted to serve and really wanted to help were people that wanted to build businesses around their creations. I didn't want the Instagram influencer who just wants to get likes or get brands to like, hey, mention my t-shirt or whatever. And I didn't want the person, even on the other end, I have a background working in comedy. And I wanted the comedian who was entrepreneurial and wanted to build a business around their stuff not the comedian that was just like, I want to go viral on YouTube and have someone discover me and put me in something. So what I realized was that there was a differentiation there and that my newsletter, while it was still mostly aligned, just like for you, the accident thing is a through line. Like there is some alignment there, but I shifted from calling my audience creators to creative entrepreneurs because adding that entrepreneur part, I knew was actually going to turn off some of the people that are like, I'm just a YouTuber. I'm not an entrepreneur. Like, whatever. I want to be big on TikTok. I want to have a lot of followers. Like, I'm not building a business. And it would attract the people that were like, yes, I'm creative. I do creative work. But I want to build a business around this. And so that little tweet connected it even more so, my newsletter to the rest of my business. And also, it was bringing in perfectly aligned people with what I do. So thinking about that twist, even if the core of your newsletter is still the same, is there, and I'll give you just a really simplified example of this just hypothetically, positioning it so it's not just the stories about these people, but it's the thing you can take from the stories that you can act on immediately. Because then you're going to attract people that want to take action, don't just want to be passively entertained or educated, whatever. Yeah. So that's something to think about in general. It's funny, I hesitate to call it necessarily a problem. I think it's more of a missed opportunity because I see people all the time where their newsletter is this thing that's kind of aligned, but not really aligned. And is it a problem? No, like you can have a successful newsletter and you can whatever, but it is a missed opportunity to connect it to the rest of what you're yeah. doing. None of that, of course, has to do with newsletter growth, which is what your question is. <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's important to set up as and frame yeah. it. So gotcha. now let's get into newsletter growth. So first of all, I've done a bunch of episodes and I've talked about newsletter growth in a bunch of different ways. We'll include in the show notes, a link to a playlist of clips of me talking about newsletter growth. So I'm not going to reiterate all the stuff that I've said in other episodes because people will be like, ah, I've heard him say this before and provide value and blah, 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 yeah. blah. But there's lots of stuff there. The other thing I would say is I have a skill session video called the newsletter booster. That is literally a set of tactics you can use to grow your newsletter in five minutes a day. It is a paid product. It's one of my skill sessions. But if you go to joshspector.com sessions, you can find a link to get it there. And anyone who's listening, use the discount code booster25. And you can get it for 50% off. So get it for just $25. That's my plug of the day. But again, if it talks about newsletter growth, that will really help. Okay, don't worry. I'm not leaving you with that (laughs) non-answer. What I loved about this question was, again, having talked about newsletter growth a lot before, is it prompted me to be like, well, what have I not talked about? What are the strategies that I haven't talked about? And not just me, but that other people don't talk about enough. So I came up with a list of five of them that I don't think get talked about enough. And so I'll I'll sort of rattle, rattle through these. The first one, in some ways, it may seem obvious, but I don't think people think about it this way. And that is, you got to write a great newsletter, not just a good one. When it comes to growth, good newsletters might get subscribed to, they might even get opened, they might even get enjoyed, they don't really get talked about, they don't really get shared, the audience isn't driving people to it. So understanding there are levels and there's a bar there that if you can really make something that is not just good enough, but that is incredible. And by the way, this is not only a newsletter as a whole, but it could be a single issue, a single something. One issue that goes viral and gets spread, even if it doesn't go crazy viral, but one issue that 20% of your audience shares with someone else or posts on social is going to bring you a lot of followers. So thinking about how can I create something even on an individual issue level, let alone the newsletter as a whole, that's over the top of what is expected. It's really great. It's really valuable. Is an incredible growth tool. Easier said than done, but worth thinking about. The second one is the tool that's driving the majority of my growth right now. I would say, which is SparkLoop. I know a lot of people have heard of it. They have a partner program and this thing called Upscribe. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. It is a way to both partner with people and have them recommend. When someone subscribes to their newsletter, they can recommend yours and vice versa. It makes it's an easy way to basically do cross promotions. It can really grow your audience. If you have a budget, you can say, okay, I'm willing to spend. for every subscriber that people send my way. And you can put parameters like they have to be in the U.S., they have to stay subscribed for three weeks, or you can put whatever parameters you want, and people will start sending you people. And by the way, you can also monetize doing the same for other people's newsletters. So you're starting to see... A lot of people on SparkLoop, they're sending enough people elsewhere. So I'll just give a very minor, micro example. They send 20 people to other newsletters and make $40 because they got paid $2 per subscriber. You can set whatever price you want, but just hypothetically. And then they invest $40 to have other people send to them. So they're spending money, but because SparkLoop also allows you to monetize, the money they're earning is getting put right back into the growing and you're growing for free. So it's a really powerful tool. I highly recommend checking it out. The do, third, do
1: you know, does Sparkloop work with different newsletter providers? Yes,
0: I use ConvertKit. It works with ConvertKit. It works with a bunch of them. It works with Beehive. I think it does not work with Substack. I don't think. I know Substack it has its own recommendations feature. You know, it's funny. All these platforms are now rolling mm-hmm. out their own sort of recommendations features, which are yeah. similar. So that is a good point. It doesn't work with everything, but it works with a lot of them. The third idea is what I call sort of a recommended, and you can do this in a variety of different ways, but a recommended newsletters post. However you define your niche, let's say solopreneurs, just hypothetically, write a blog post. You could also do this as a Twitter thread. You could do whatever, but I like like it as a blog post that says, these are the 10, the 15, the 20 best newsletters for solopreneurs. Let every... Person, you know, who you highlighted in that. No. Hey, I just included you in this post. You're one of the whatever. No pressure. If you want to share it, awesome. would appreciate it. it. Drives more subscribers to all of us. Include your newsletter as one of them. I have a post and we'll link it in the show notes. I did this. I think I called it the best creativity newsletters or something like that. It works really well, because ultimately, let's say you list 20 newsletters, and even if 10 of them share it to their audiences, that's getting you a lot of exposure. And these are newsletters that are about solopreneurs, so it's the exact right audience. It's also good for relationship building anyway, because it gives you an easy open to go say to somebody, hey... I really admire your work. I featured you here. I just wanted to say hi and let you know and blah, blah, blah. You can do that for newsletters. Who's going to read that post? A solopreneur who reads, who's interested in newsletters. Perfect fit for the audience. You can also do it in other things, right? You could do it podcasts, the 20 best podcasts for solopreneurs. That's going to attract podcast listeners, but it's still going to attract solopreneurs. So you can see how you could do it in a bunch of different ways. The 10 best courses for solopreneurs. Like, but this sort of group thing works really well because it's an easy way for you to get scale by other people who you feature promoting it. The fourth one is a lot of times people think about newsletter growth in terms of the newsletter specifically. And I think recognizing that all you really need to get people's attention is one really valuable resource. Now, people tend to assume it's the newsletter or an issue of the newsletter, but maybe it's something else. You'd have to think in your own niche of what that thing is. But if you had some resource that was, I don't know, maybe you were like skilled with spreadsheets or you see people do this with Notion templates. They'll create like the solopreneur Notion dashboard, give it away for free and say, either they may require an email address or not, just use it as a promotional thing. And within the dashboard or within the whatever, like, hey, if you find this valuable, I share stuff like this for solopreneurs all the time, sign up. So trying to find that one thing, and this is similar to write something that's great, come up with something that's good enough that people are like, oh, have you seen this thing? Because that's all you need. Like one good thing that's getting spread around can drive a lot of people, can get you in front of a lot of people. So that's another thing, sort of thinking about resources that you could create. And then the last one here, again, is sort of obvious, but I don't think people do it aggressively enough or strategically enough, which is get booked on podcasts. As long as it's audience fit, So in your case, solopreneurs and that kind of thing, it doesn't matter the podcast that has 20 people listening to it. Most people think I'm not going to go on a podcast for 20 people, but there's a couple of things to remember. Number one, that might be 20 email subscribers for you out of a half hour conversation. Number two, the podcast that gets 20 listeners today might have 2,000 six months from now. Some of these things are going to grow. Some of them won't, whatever. Everyone's looking for podcast guests, not everyone, but lots of people. This show is a perfect example, right? You are now going to get in front of my audience. And I say in every one of these episodes, if you'd like to come on and ask me three questions, like submit the form. And I do get lots of people that submit, but it's amazing to me how many people don't. They'll reach out to me and they'll be like, I'm trying to get in front of creative entrepreneurs. How do I grow my audience? And it's like, have you considered coming on my show and asking like, this is an easy way to do it. Like it seems obvious, but they don't do that. Yeah. And one last tip, I think I mentioned this before and I forget the guy's name, unfortunately, but he was someone that had self-published a book, had sold tons of copies of it. And what he, one of the things he said was the biggest driver of those sales was going on podcasts. He was very strategic about how he did it. And he said he would in particular look for In the Apple podcast app, he would look for shows that were in the new and noteworthy section because it meant two things. One, they were new enough that they probably needed guests or it was they weren't overwhelmed with incoming stuff. But they also had a big enough audience that they were making some traction. They might not have had a huge audience, but they were getting enough downloads. There was something there. So he would look at that and reach out to all those people and not everyone's going to book you or anything like that, but he would get booked on enough. And the more you do, the more it leads to more and more and it drove book sales. And obviously it should be easier to drive free newsletter subscriptions than it should be to drive book sales. Any questions about any of that? No, I think that makes a ton of sense. So you got
1: my wheels turning. I got some ideas going already. So
0: there you go. Great. All right. Let's get to your second question. What is the next thing you want to know?
1: Okay. So within the newsletter. Again, without coming across as too salesy, uh, some different strategies for promoting my other stuff, my books, my courses, my coaching calls. What are some good ways to promote that without creating a bunch of unsubscribes because people are are seeing it as pushy or salesy?
0: So let me ask you a question now. What, if anything, are you currently doing to promote that stuff in your newsletter?
1: Yeah, I've tested a bunch of different things. So right off the bat, the first several issues, all I did is at the very bottom Mm -hmm. of the newsletter said, this newsletter was brought to you by the accidental solopreneur, and that was a hyperlink to my book's website. And then it was written by myself, and then there was a hyperlink to my website. So it was a subtle way mm-hmm. driving them there. Then I've also tested at the top of the mm-hmm. newsletter, um, having a more of a, Hey, this edition was brought to you by the book, and then with a testimonial from somebody who read the book and gave it a testimonial. And I've also done a draw for free coaching calls. So I've run that through the newsletter, which has worked fairly, but I always want to be careful that I'm not doing it in a pushy or salesy way.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you the, not the drawing, but of the first two, any traction? Was anybody clicking on? Was anybody reaching out?
1: Yep. Yep. So I, I have about a 9% click through rate and most of that is the, there's two things that people typically click on in my newsletter. Other thing that I have is... If somebody shares their own personal happy accident story with me, I'll get them to write it as a LinkedIn post or a Twitter thread. And then I share a link to that. So people are usually clicking on that or they're clicking on my book or my course, whatever I'm subtly advertising. Great.
0: So a couple things here, I think there's a, and again, I'm going to start with some sort of foundational stuff and then get into some specific strategies. So the first thing, and I think this is really important and again, really common, the the fear of being salesy and the fear of, I don't want to annoy people. They're going to unsubscribe. I don't want to seem pushy. I don't like all of which comes from a good place because you care. Like people that are on the other end of the spectrum that don't have any of that have a whole other set of problems. But this is a problem as well. And there's an assumption that a lot of us have that sales is bad. But really, that's your own insecurity and an alignment problem. And this gets back to sort of the first answer about the alignment piece. The more aligned the value of the newsletter is, with the value of the product or service that you're offering, the less it's going to feel like an interruption to promote and sell your thing. Because at that point, if you know that the people that are subscribing to the newsletter are trying to solve this problem, you're just offering them another way to solve the problem. If they're subscribing to the newsletter because they just want to read an interesting story, and then you go, hey, I can solve your problem. They're like, I don't have a problem. I just wanted to read an interesting... So, and it's not even happening consciously, but that's part of what's making you go, oh, this doesn't feel like the same yeah. thing. The selling in my newsletter, which I do often, and most newsletters I send have something in there where plugging some program or course or something. It's a line. They're reading my newsletter because they want to learn how to grow their audience in business, giving them a bunch of free tips to do that and going, oh, and here's a paid one if you want it, great, whatever. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to trick anyone into doing anything. I'm just saying, here's another opportunity. I have a blog post and we'll link it in the show notes. That says self-promotion is not a selfish act. It's actually unselfish. And I'm saying you, but I mean this for everyone, including myself. If you truly believe that your coaching, your course, your book provides value and helps people, you should be excited to tell people about it because you're not actually asking them to help you. You're helping them. So when I'm selling stuff, I'm viewing it as I'm helping you by telling you this thing exists and you can get it. You don't have to buy it. That's fine, but you're not doing me a favor by buying it. I'm doing you a favor by giving it to you. Because in theory, whatever I'm charging, you're charging $100 for a course. In theory, I should believe, or whoever the course creator is, should believe that they're getting more than $100 worth of value. So for example, if it was a cash exchange, I'll tell you what you would not feel uncomfortable doing. If you were like anyone that gives me $100, I'm going to give them $200. You would not feel uncomfortable mentioning that in your newsletter. You'd feel like they're going to love me. Wait till they get this, right? Earlier on in this episode, when I mentioned the newsletter booster, I don't feel uncomfortable doing that because I know... People are going to buy that for $25 and they're going to be like, "This is going to help me grow my newsletter. I honestly believe that. So I'm coming from the assumption that you believe what you've created is actually helpful and valuable. And if it is, you shouldn't be ashamed to sell it. I don't think of myself as a salesperson. I'm married to a salesperson. I love her, but I'm not a big fan of salespeople in general outside of her. (laughs) So I get all of that. I think as long as you're confident in what you're selling or feel like it's, you genuinely believe it will help people, you should so, try to get yeah. past that.
1: I think you nailed it with the alignment piece. I think maybe yeah. that's where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. As I do promote the newsletter more as stories and engaging yep. and entertaining, now I feel like, oh, am I being sneaky by advertising these right. things in there? Whereas if I promote it more as, uh, hey, you, yep. you can learn from these people's stories. Exactly. Because lessons in there. But that's exactly. not how I promote it. So it's, right. it's and a, a slight line. tweak, right? The same yeah.
0: stories. Like the point of these stories is they're going to help you yeah. get this result you want. And oh, I yeah. have these other things that can also help you get this yeah. result you want. Yeah. The other thing I would say about the way that you're presenting it, people don't like ads, and you're literally presenting your stuff as ads. So when you start going, it's brought to you by my coaching service, it's brought mm-hmm. to you by my course. The right. packaging of that right. pitch. is being packaged like a thing that people don't like and are wary of and don't trust. Versus, let's say you put it again in the intro, I don't know, but something about like, Mm. this person then made this decision to go out on their own and blah, blah, blah. Within that story, in parentheses, you could go, by the way, if you're trying to figure out how to make the leap, I can help you through my course or through my coaching call. The more integrated the pitches into the content, the more people are likely to see it. But even separate from that, if the beginning, instead of today's newsletter is brought to you by my course or my coaching program or whatever, just go much more personal. Here's a subtle way to do it. I told one of my coaching clients this story the other day, and he said, oh my God, and immediately went and changed his thing. And coaching clients is a link to your thing. These subtle sort of promotion, they get the point. They go, oh, he has coaching clients and versus here's an ad. So that's another simple thing you can do. Okay. So as far as five quick strategies for you in terms of how to promote in a non-salesy way. And these aren't, these are newsletter, but not just newsletter specific. Some of this is social as well. One, and this is a big one, share results and proof as content so as opposed to selling so for example like i was looking at your twitter i think and there's nothing on there talking about results not just testimonials you'll see i do this a lot on my twitter account where i'm like oh the just realized that the five advertisers in my newsletter this week on average got 400 clicks on their ads talking about the results of what people are getting is a different form of selling without going, hey, have you checked out my course? Me going, look at the results. And I think one time I did one and it sold, I actually sold a bunch of ads. I was like, here's how many clicks each of the five advertisers got. And there was a range. The high end was like 790 and the low end was like maybe 200. So it was realistic. And I went versus going, you should buy an ad in my newsletter. It's like, look, here's what happened. Five people bought. This is what the average was. One guy got 800 clicks. Yeah, one guy got 200. And so it's not guaranteed that it's going to whatever, but telling the stories of your results and what you're doing is a great way to sell without feeling like you have to constantly pitch. Another quick one, and this is more related to your book, but could be interesting. There's a guy who wrote a book about something science related, and he sent out a bunch of free copies to people that he thought would like it. And so he sent it to professors in whatever the science field is. But instead of sending them one copy, he sent them two copies and said, give one to someone you know who will find this interesting. Mm -hmm. Because what he realized is they were going to be able to identify his target audience because they know people in that field better than he was. So, for example, when you send a free book, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but you sent me a free book, which was awesome, and I wound up talking about it and whatever. Had you sent me two books... Maybe I would have given it to someone else. Maybe I would have mentioned on Twitter, like, hey, who in my audience wants this? So that's another way to think about your sort of selling. But can you get other people to sell for you or promote for you by doing something simple? The third thing is what I call micro coaching. You'll see I do this on Twitter all the time. It's a great way to create value and also show off your work. Usually I'll do it with a simple question that lots of people can respond to, and then I can give them advice. So for you, you might say, what's your biggest frustration or what's your biggest fear about taking the leap and becoming a solopreneur? and people go oh I'm afraid that I won't be able to get clients I'm afraid that I won't make enough money yeah. and then you just respond to each of those and what happens is it creates this all these comments become a chain showcasing your expertise and you're essentially selling your services without ever saying hire me it's a different version of the results yeah so that's micro coaching the next one is if you do I'm not a big fan in general of free calls or discovery calls but one thing you can do is you can Offer a free first call to remove the friction of, I'm not sure if I want to hire this guy, but raise the prices of the others to make up for it. So for example, just to use as like a simple example of math, let's say that your consulting or coaching package was four calls for $100 each, so $400. You could instead say, I do a free call and my package is three paid calls for $450. You're still doing four calls. Now you're actually making 450 instead of 400. Yeah. You have to manage your time. But, you know, you might see if depending how many of them convert and who those people are saying, hey, your first coaching call is free or not even first, you could just go, I do free coaching calls. Come on. And then you're upselling them to a three call package instead of a four call package. Yep. You can get more sales. And then the last one is, and this is newsletter specific. Use your newsletter to surface interest based on what people click. So this is another thing that people misunderstand. So I recently did a group coaching program called Inbox to Invoice that was all about how to use your newsletter to get clients. So let's say if I was marketing that and wanted to find people that fit for it, I could put a link to an article in my newsletter. I wouldn't even mention the course, a link about how to use a newsletter to get clients. Every one of my readers that clicks that, they've basically raised their hand and are like, I'm a potential target for your course. So now I can follow up with them knowing, I don't tell them this, but I know you're at least interested in this. Yeah. As opposed to blasting my whole list for my newsletter to get clients program when half those people don't even have a newsletter. So, you, so if you use links in your newsletter in a smart way, you can surface all sorts of things. Yeah. And it can help influence your own sort of messaging and positioning and that kind of stuff. Mm. You could have one link in your newsletter one week that's about how to overcome mindset challenges as a solopreneur. And then the next week you could have how to overcome financial challenges as a solopreneur. And one of those links, a hundred people clicked and one of those links, 10 people clicked and now your solopreneur course. You're like, you know what? I'm going to message the course might help with mindset and finances, yeah. but everybody clicked mindset. So I'm going to talk about mindset, not finances. Right. By paying attention to what people click and using links strategically, it allows you to both do market research and surface people that you can then sell to. So yeah. all of that makes sense. Yes.
1: Yeah, perfect more right. wheels are turning.
0: Yeah, exactly. So hopefully <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get to your third question. What's the last thing you want to know?
1: Yeah. So we touched on it a little bit off the start, but it's really bringing this all together under my brand, right? So the newsletter is the concept of accidental success. The book mm-hmm. is the accidental solopreneur. I, my own story as I fell into that. So how do I really tie this all together effectively so that When somebody lands on my socials, they land on my website, they, it clicks, oh, this is all about, he's all about the accidental success guy.
0: So I'm going to answer this question with a bunch of different questions because we could honestly spend like eight weeks figuring out this brand, right? So instead of that, to condense it, I'm going to throw out a bunch of things for you to think about. And I want to say this with, I know we've talked or had some exchanges on Twitter before, do do think there's a brand here and I like it. So some of what I'm going to say might seem not negative. I'm questioning it, but it doesn't mean that I don't think it's good. I'm punching in it to figure out like, okay, oh, yes. test it, I guess. I got pressure test, in, right? Up. I'm a solopreneur. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing I would think about, I, I approach this like, okay, if I were you, how would I figure this out? And the first thing I would be thinking, is accidental success really a thing? And is it, aspiration it doesn't matter if it is or isn't it matters how are you going to weave the story that it is there is no definitive answer but i think it's important that if you're building around this brand that the accidental solopreneur happy accidents that accidental success is a thing or that accidents are a part of any success story then thinking through how do i make that case it doesn't matter if it's true or not you just have to be able to make there is no definitive true you just have to be able to make a case for it that will resonate with some people so as i start thinking about that then i start thinking about could you take a stance for example that all success is an accident but the key is to position yourself to be ready to take advantage of those accidents so you can see how you're starting to weave a narrative That people can buy into or not which is also fine because a great brand is not for everyone it's for someone you're starting to draw a line in the sand and it's starting to become actionable you're not just going like sometimes you just fall into stuff and that's great and come follow me so you'll find out maybe something (laughs) i'll fall in right you're saying no your accidents are going to happen yeah they happen in every success story But the ones that actually lead to success are the people that have been prepared because they did X, Y, and Z. They had a certain approach to life, whatever it is that you come up with that lets them do it. So the action note, I'll show you how to prepare yourself to turn those accidents into success as opposed to whatever. So now it's starting to get more actionable. So then along those lines, the next thing I would think about is there a turning point or a moment where the accident can go one way or another? So you're now this narrative, you're saying to people, look, There's going to be, however you define accident, there's going to be accidents all throughout your life. And when it happens, it's always a turning point and it's going to go one way or the other. Yeah. Something's going to get better or worse. It's not going to stay the same because of this accident. And part of what I'm going to help you do is figure out how to both prepare. And in the moment, there may even be like a pre present and post piece of this, of the accident, but building up that concept that like these accidents are these key turning point moments. Now what becomes interesting is you're starting to, again, go further down elaborating on this. And now you're figuring out, okay, so there's these key turning point moments. Now can I start incorporating this concept into all these stories I'm telling? So now when you tell the happy accident story about m and or whatever it is, you're making a point to highlight. I'm saying turning point, but it's whatever language you come up yep. with. Yep. This was the turning point moment. This is where it was going to go good or bad. And it went good because of X, Y, and Z, which is all the things that I teach, whatever. Now you can see how those stories are becoming more aligned to your sort of overall thing. We're starting to build this brand. You can see how people would be like, oh, I totally buy into that. So as you're building this, I think there's a couple examples of people who I think have done this sort of branding well. So one is, do you know Daniel Vasalo? Yeah. Okay. So small bets. Yeah. It's a perfect example. Small bets is a general. Concept that he's basically saying, don't just focus on one thing, diversify, and that's how you're ultimately going to do it. It also ties into his personal story if you know his background about leaving his job and whatever. It's very much an analogy yes. to, to you with happy accidents. Yeah. So I think looking at that from a branding standpoint going, how do I take this act or not just happy accidents, but accidental? How do I turn this accidental concept into what he's done with small bets? Right. And it becomes a thing and you can see people resonate with that. And there are people that believe in the small bets philosophy. You want to get to a place where there are people that believe in the accidental philosophy. Yeah. Now you're getting way more interesting. You're getting way more unique. You're getting way more positioned, et cetera. Yeah. You're not just the solopreneur guy. You're the accidental guy, the accidental solopreneur guy. Another example of this is K high with 10 K work. And I did a podcast with him where I talked about actually how he came up with that framework and that phrasing, but that pack it's packaging is really what we're talking about here. We'll link to that in the show notes. So with all of that sort of turning in your head, then the next part is, okay, how do you, assuming we're going down this road and we believe this sort of accidental success thing or whatever you want to call it, how do you systemize it? How do you map it out? Like, what are the things that you do in that moment? What are the things that you do to prepare? Now there's a million questions, right? How do I identify an accident? How do I analyze it? How do I know which way to go? How do I prepare myself when I don't know what the accidents are gonna be, right? Like, so you start to get into a process, a system, whatever word you wanna choose. And once you have that sort of generally mapped out, again, now you're applying it to all those examples. Just like I said, the M&Ms, this was the turning point. Yeah. Well, this was the, again, if you've labeled some of this stuff with language, this was like the prep point for the accident. This is the turning point. This is the whatever. But again, from an alignment perspective, you can see how these random stories now become connected to the sort of overall brand. And a lot of this is semantics and packaging, which is a lot of what branding is. It's a lot of stuff that you're doing anyway, but you're like, how do I communicate this and package Mm. this up. Small bets is great. There's, and I like Daniel and I'm impressed with his success. There's nothing revolutionary about small bets. He's not the first guy in the world to go, Hey, maybe you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, Yeah.
1: Yeah. but his
0: packaging of it and his branding of it is really smart. And that's what made it resonate with people as opposed to other people who are just like, oh yeah, do a bunch of stuff and see what works. It's like, no, small bets. Exactly. Okay. So the last thing that I will leave you with here, and I think this will be really helpful for people who aren't, hopefully you're the only one out there building the accidental brand. So people who are building their own brands. But I think for you, helpful questions that everyone I think should ask themselves to clarify their brand. So I've got five questions here. The first one, why are you choosing this brand from an infinite list of possibilities? What about it resonates with you and makes you motivated to root your work in it? You're choosing whatever this is. You could choose anything. There's some reason you're drawn to it or probably multiple reasons you're drawn to it and thinking through what is that and why am I doing, why do I want to do this? The second question is, who's this really for? Not just from a demographic standpoint, but if you're building, let's say, you know, this concept of accidents are a key to success, who's that really for? Who wants to believe that? Who needs to believe that? Who already believes that, yeah. thinking about that? The next question is obviously the flip side. Who is it not for? Who's going to hate the idea that accidents are a key to success? Yeah. Who's going to think this is crazy?
1: Yeah.
0: Who, you know, And do I care? Is that good or bad? Are the people that are going to hate this the people I don't want to work with anyway? Are the people right. that are going to love this the ones that I do want to work with? Or have I screwed this up? Because the people that are going to hate this are the ones that I do want to work with. No right or wrong but thinking that through. The fourth question, I think this is a really helpful exercise, what are three to five keywords, phrases, or concepts related to the brand that should appear frequently in your messaging, in your stories, whatever? So these are not great examples, but just a sort of simple example. Maybe the concept or the phrase that accidents are opportunities. Maybe that's a line that shows up over and over again in subtle ways. This was the moment that M&M's realized this accident was an opportunity. Twitter bio. I believe accidents are opportunities if you know how to take care of Subtle ways that the phrases are showing up. Another example, all success is accidental. The simple phrases and keywords that you're going to use over and over again to reinforce that brand. Because also when people start seeing that, they start to connect with, oh yeah, that's the guy that believes this. Yeah. The last exercise here is, what is a thing related to this brand that people want to be true? So this is a tricky one, but if you can figure it out, it's super powerful. So if you look at a lot of like best-selling business books, a lot of those titles are things that don't necessarily seem true or possible, but people really wish they were. Four hour work week.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what perfect, came my mind. <laughs>
0: perfect example. People want the four hour work week to be true. I'm trying to see if I have any other examples of books. There's a James Schramko book that's really good. Work less, make more. Right. People would like that to be true for you. And again, these are not, this is not the same thing, but just some rough examples. So if I were asking myself, what's a thing related to this accidental success idea that people would want to be true? Some people might want it to be true that I don't have to know what I'm doing. If accidents are all a part of success and all success is accidental or whatever, it removes some of the pressure of feeling like I need to have it all figured out. That'd be nice to think that I just need to know how to capitalize on an accident when it happens and I don't need to solve the mystery, solve the riddle. Another one for some people, I don't have to be special. If success is accidental, this certainly can play into imposter syndrome and some of that stuff, but maybe I don't have to feel like Oh, I could succeed. It's not that all these people have some magic ability that I don't have. It's that they took advantage of the accidents that came their way. Yeah, And I'm not saying either of these are them, but that question of like, what are the people that are going to believe in this brand want to be true can be really powerful and really strengthen a brand that gives you hopefully and everyone listening a lot to think about, but I do think going through it in your own mind, working through and thinking about those questions yeah. can really help you get a lot of clarity on what this brand is and yeah. strengthen it.
1: Yeah, no, that that gives me a ton of stuff to think about. And uh, again, the wheels are turning. So I've already yeah. got lots of ideas on how to reposition the brand slightly. Yeah. I mean, a- as we talk, the pieces are all there. Yep. They're not put together properly. So you've given me tons of... Yeah, it's opinions. it's
0: packaging. And I would also say yeah. for you, and I see this with people all the time, it's all in you, right? And these exercises are just designed to pull it out. These yeah. questions are designed to pull it out and package it. Intuitively, what this is and what you want it to be, yeah. it's just hard to get it down on. It's like writing the yeah. first draft of something, right? You're like, yeah. I know what I want okay. this blog post to be. And then you're like, this is not what was in my, <laughs> what was in my head. So hopefully yeah. I can help you with that. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I love these questions. I think it's The things you're trying to figure out are things that I know almost everyone in my audience is also trying to figure out. Uh, it was great to have an excuse to, to talk about them. Let people know where they can check you out, your newsletter, your book, see all these slight tweaks that you make to improve things and all that. Where can they connect with you?
1: Yep. So my website is DennisGelan.me. So there you will see links to my book, my courses, the. Happy accidents newsletter or the book itself. It's got its own website. So that's just the accidentalsolopreneur.com dot com. If people want to check that out. Twitter and LinkedIn are the two socials where I'm most active. So love connecting cool. with people there as well.
0: Cool. And by the way, I know accidental solopreneur is fictional, but I feel like if you read it, you're gonna you're gonna you're yeah. gonna feel like Dennis. Yeah. It's eighty
1: percent my story, I would yeah. say. Yeah.
0: There you go. And for me, again, my newsletter for the dot com slash subscribe, my skill sessions, which I mentioned before joshspector.com slash sessions. If you want that newsletter booster, you can get it and use code booster25 to get it for just 25 bucks. Another opportunity, I'll say it again for those of you that want to take advantage of it. If you'd like to come on the show and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply. I'm on Twitter all the time at J and I'll stop naming things because I know everybody's turned off this episode anyway. So thanks, Dennis. Thanks everyone for your interest. And I will see everyone next week.